I believe it's in Matthew where Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these brothers of mine, you do for me. And so I feel like, you know, the the black community in a lot of ways has been kind of overlooked um, by a lot of society. And so I really wanted to reach out and, and kind of be the change that I wanted to see in the world. Fantastic. And you said that you you said something that's very key. You said that the African-American community has some unique struggles. And mm-hmm. I don't disagree with that. But from what, from what your vantage point is, why don't you tell our listeners, what are some of those unique struggles that are you that are endemic to African-American communities? Well, just if you look from a historical perspective, um, just some of the, the, the challenges we faced due to discrimination, mm-hmm. um, you know, redlining policies that prevented um, a lot of black people from getting homes um, and just different uh, d- discrimination in employment and um, even studies as far as uh, medical treatment. There's a lot of different areas where um, we, we really see a lot of discrimination happening. And so, um, you, you know, I really wanted to kind of address uh, some of those gaps that are happening. The wealth gap in particular is really powerful. Um, the the average black family in this country has 16 times less wealth than the average white family. Um, and so there's a lot of different reasons behind that. As I said, everything from hiring discrimination to, um, you know, the, the difficulties in history of trying to buy homes, different things like that, all those different aspects have really created some barriers in terms of us building wealth in the past. Um, and so we're really trying to work to help break down those barriers so that we can do that in the future. And so listeners, here's what I want you guys to pick up on. You know, a lot of times, you know, we use these hashtags, you know, Black Lives Matter or or hashtag stay woke. Okay. So what Lisa is talking about, this is one of those awakening moments where you really need to wake up and stay woke. You know, um, one of the things you guys may not know this about me, but in addition to teaching English and psychology at the college, that my background, my education is in critical race studies and specifically looking at these issues of inequality. And one of the things that I want to, one of the resources I want to point you guys to is there is a PBS documentary called race power of an illusion because race, white, black, you know, Latino, Hispanic, all of those things are social constructions. Okay. So they mm-hmm. are man-made distinctions and categorizations. And so race power of an illusion, particularly there's a segment called the house we live in. And this is where it talks about exactly what Lisa just said, redlining policies where mm-hmm. the federal government legislated the way that, that geographically, the way that people live. And so they subsidized and gave money to subsidizing um, white privilege and white suburbia and what we now know as the suburbs and they divested meaning they took money away from areas that had high concentrations of African Americans and brown people and so what they did was those areas that had uh, predominantly white which had suburban amenities they called those areas the most desirable they called those green but the areas that were predominantly African American brown or minority they called those red and so these were government legislated not you know some bank or, you know, some, you know, racist individual like, no, the United States federal government actually created poverty within Mm -hmm. these communities. And once upon a time before the recession hit, the way that you built wealth was in your home. Okay, Mm -hmm. so that's how you built wealth. You bought a house for, I don't know, $30,000. You stayed in it for 20 years. The house would appreciate to $300,000. And that's how you sent your kids to college for free. And so for those of you right now who are struggling with student loans and things like 
like that, a lot of us did not have those opportunities. And in fact, what we began to pass down was a legacy of poverty and a legacy of debt. And so that's where Lisa is stepping in to try to shift the tide and turn the narrative in a different direction. Absolutely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of what have been some of the challenges um, in terms of the messages that we received growing up about money? So what were some of the messages that you received about money? Well, I think, uh, you know, from my perspective, I'm not all that different from a lot of other um, people in this country in terms of of how I grew up, which was that we didn't talk about it. Mm. Um, We really didn't have, you know, that much to really talk about in terms of of money and um, wealth um, in my family. Um, I knew my parents were well educated. um, And but my main teaching about money was, you know, um, my dad didn't want me to know how much money he made. He just didn't want me to, to to share that with my friends. And and that was really most of the extent of it. I do remember receiving a pamphlet pamphlet from from him mm-hmm. uh, when I was a teenager talking about uh, stocks in the stock market. Uh, but, you know, I was a teenager at that time. I wasn't really interested and it kind of went over my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the closest we that we really got to having real conversations about money. And it's, it's very common. I think, um, you know, my, my father grew up in poverty and as so many other parents do, you know, I think he wanted to teach me, but maybe didn't know how. Uh, and I think that's a common thing. I think also a lot of people um, who are sh- if they're struggling with money, then they feel like they don't they don't have the right to teach their children. Um, so I think that what I went through is very common in this country from what a lot of families go through. I agree with you 100 percent. You know, a lot of us, we receive those messages about money um, and they tend to be kind of like negative. You know, mm-hmm. like money doesn't grow on trees or, you know, money is funny. Credit won't get it. Robbing Peter to pay Paul. And exactly. So you kind of grow up with this kind of <laughs> this good times struggling, you know, scratching and surviving, you know, yes. <laughs> this narrative of struggle. And that's kind of the extent of the conversation that you have about money. But what you're doing is you're trying to shift that conversation. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what are the kinds of conversations that parents should be having with their children about money? And even those of you who don't have children, you know, these are things to keep in mind that if you aspire to build families or build communities, you know, families don't necessarily have to follow those traditional uh, modalities. But what are some of those conversations that do need to be had? Sure. Well, first of all, uh, you need, I want families to understand that you don't need to uh, be in a place of prosperity to begin talking with your children about money. Uh, it's something can, that can happen uh, at a very, very young age. Um, we're talking two or three years old. You can begin giving them work. Uh, and that's one of the most important things you want to teach them is that money comes from work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so giving them chores around the house, um, little things. I used to have my, my daughter, she's four now, but when she was two years old, I uh, had her start unloading the dishwasher, you know, simple things like that, setting the table. Um, and you pay them for those chores as is appropriate for their age to help them see that you work to earn money. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that you can begin discussing with them is the importance of entrepreneurship. Um, I'm a really big um, kind of advocate of that in terms of as a, as a way of building wealth. Um, and everyone's not necessarily cut out to be an entrepreneur, but it's important to teach them as an option um, about different ways of bringing in income and helping them to uh, look at re- um, uh, owning a business as a way of uh, as a career option for them. Um, a third thing that, that you can do is to begin to s- discuss with them the importance of investing. And so looking at stocks and bonds and mutual funds 
patients and really kind of talking them through that. And you don't need to be an expert. It's something that you can literally begin teaching yourself, learning yourself, and then teaching them as you learn it yourself. And it can become a learning process and really a bonding experience for you uh, to work through with your kids together. You know, you hit on some excellent points. And guys, I'm going to be putting these uh, for every speaker in the wealth series and the finance series. They're going to have their own little uh, kind of like rap sheet of talking points. And so if you guys are kind of like furiously scribbling down notes, don't worry, I'm furiously scribbling them down, too. And I'll make sure that all of these are available. But you some, you hit on something very key, and, and that's the, the education aspect. And so if you can educate us a little bit about really defining wealth, like what is wealth really? Because, you know, there are times, especially, you know, in our community, when we hit our, um, what do we call it? The tax refund season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, or we hit a lick, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and that, I don't think that's what you mean by wealth. So can you kind of break down that definition? What is wealth versus hitting a lick? Absolutely. Uh, yes, th- there is a lot of misconception about wealth, what wealth really is. Uh, I think that in our society, we, we look at celebrities and, and uh, athletes and musicians and whatnot, and, and we see them and we think that that's what wealth means. Or we see um, our neighbor across town that, that has a nice car and a nice house, and we immediately assume that they're wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of debunk that and say, first of all, that you don't need to be rich in order to begin building wealth. Mm. It's not something where you have to have a high income to get started. I think a lot of people see that as a barrier. Um, But there's a difference between being rich and being wealthy. Um, Being rich, I like to identify it as as essentially having a high income right now in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe you have a high salary or you're in a good paying job. You're, as I said, maybe an athlete or a celebrity of some kind. Those are people that you would classify as rich. Mm -hmm. Um, But wealth building is really where you're gathering assets and resources over time. So that could be property. It could be owning a business. It could be investments um, in the stock market of various kinds. Um, And so it's really wealth building is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so um, that's why you look at people who have uh, gotten a lot of money from the lottery and they tend to be broke a few years later. It's because they didn't they didn't have that long term plan Mm -hmm. for making sure that the wealth was built and it was just kind of this huge cash flow at once. So the key thing I want people to remember is that wealth is built over time and it's built in assets and resources, whether it's money or property or otherwise, that you are gathering intentionally. It's not just a high salary and about how much money you make. Y'all, I want y'all to know that sitting behind this computer, I'm doing the church lady rock back and forth. My head is shaking back and forth with a... Because Lisa just dropped some nuggets in your lap. Y'all need to rewind that part. A lot of us, we look at, you know, the Kobe Bryants, the Kardashians, the Kanye's. That is called right now money. Yes, they're rich. Amen. They are rich. But in terms of assets built over time, you know, that's that. Hilton money. Okay. That's that Hefner money. Okay. That, that generational built over time and acquired in assets. And so that requires a real mindset shift because Lisa, that is one of the biggest challenges, you know, and and honestly, one of the biggest criticisms, if I'm going to be frank and just transparent of the African-American community, there's a a saying that we wear our money on our backs. That's Um, right. 
or that, you know, the money, the dollar cycles in the African-American community, like every six minutes, because like people are waiting for Friday and then boom, you know, it's gone. So can you talk about the shift in the mindset that has to happen in order for you to have a wealth building mindset? Yes. Well, uh, I think you touched on it. Um, you know, we, we do have an issue um, in, in the black culture of, you know, being caught up in the moment and what we have right now in this moment. Um, and, it, it, you know, it, it not only the sad part is it not only affects us as individuals, but it affects our community as a whole. Um, if you look at other ethnic groups and their ability to uh, build themselves up, a lot of times it is because they support each other financially. Um, and so the average dollar in the black community only circulates for six hours because we're just spending it right back out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we really need to be looking at um, where we being intentional with our money and not just thinking about what we need right now in the moment, but really looking and taking a long term view of it and, and looking at ways that we can build up for not only ourselves, but the next generation and also for our community as a whole. And, you know, I'm so glad that you said that, because one of the key takeaways uh, from that is that you do notice that other cultures and 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 I'm you're not the only person that's noticed it. I've noticed it. many of my listeners have noticed it, that there is a commitment to support one another financially, that there is a commitment to invest in one another financially. And that is something that is missing from our culture. I think that slowly, um, you know, I have a lot of, of hope for the millennials because a lot of them do tend to be taking a more active stance and tend to be educating themselves a little bit more about what is happening in the African-American community. But they're doing it also from the perspective of like social justice and police brutality and social violence and those types of things, which is important. But I Mm -hmm. think the part that goes unaddressed, the part that, that we don't talk about is this economic piece, this economic development piece. And I was noticing that you recently, um, and I tried to get him on the podcast too. I'm still trying. You recently attended a seminar with Dr. Boyce Watkins, who is very vocal about economic development. What are some of the takeaways that you learned from him about the importance of building up the African-American community from an economic standpoint? Yes, yes. Uh, I've been following Dr. Watkins for uh, quite some time. Um, and, and it was a, a really um, remarkable event when I attended um, a few weeks ago. Uh, so a lot of the, the takeaways were really what you mentioned, what we've talked about already, um, being intentional with our dollars in terms of um, really supporting uh, Black-owned businesses in a way that maybe we haven't before, um, and and also the importance of entrepreneurship, really looking at ways to uh, start our own businesses and really kind of support one another that way, and and also the importance of, of leaving, leaving a legacy for our children in that way. Um, you know, there's something really valuable about being able to pass down um, a business to your children, uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be this big, huge thing. You can start small, especially online with online businesses um, and and the the opportunities that are available there. Um, It's not necessarily quick money. That's that's the key thing that I really want to stress again is that we need to not look at trying to 
to make a lot of money quickly. That's not how wealth building works. It's something you have to have patience with. You have to have a long-term strategy and you really want to um, just take little steps each day that are continuing to get to take you to your goal. Okay. So let's get to that part. You know, so some of us were listening, you know, we're, we're buying into what you're saying, but there are some listeners right now that are like, okay, but how do I get started? Because you're right. You know, not, not many of us are rich or, or have those kinds of, of assets or, or things to acquire. So what are just some practical things that you can do right now to start building your wealth portfolio? Well, one of the, f- the first things you need to do is to know your your current status, know your numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you're going to visit a friend, for example, and uh, you get lost on the way there, if you call up your friend, what, the first thing they're going to tell you is, where are you? They're going to ask you where you are right now mm-hmm. because they can't direct you to their house unless they know where you are. Mm-hmm. And that's the same idea with your money. You really want to make sure that you uh, organize, get your all your bills together, as ugly as it might be. Mm-hmm. You know, and and really go through everything and figure out where you are financially, how much debt you have, uh, if you have anything in savings, if how how you're spending your money every month. Um, So you really want to take stock of of where you are currently. Uh, The next thing you want to do is to uh, take take the steps to start tracking your spending and really paying attention to where your money goes every month. It's the dreaded B word, but it's the budget, right? You can call it a spending plan, whatever makes your heart happy. Um, but that's that's really important. Um, and there's several apps that are out there that can really help you with that, especially uh, I know millennials, we love our apps. So um, Every Dollar is an app that I use, and um, it's very simple and clean and just easy to um, kind of navigate through. It's free. They do have a paid option, um, but you can start out for free and um, create a budget that way. Um, Mint is another good one, mint.com, uh, and like the herb. And um, you need a budget.com is another good one. Um, and to kind of help you get started with the budgeting aspects. Uh, and then as far as investing goes, you know, you there are apps for that as well. If you're kind of nervous about sitting down with the financial advisor, I do recommend that. Ultimately, that's that's really key if you're wanting to um, really move forward with investing. But if you're nervous and you're, you're unsure and it's really kind of um, – you know, you're struggling to get started. Um, uh, acorns.com is a good app that will kind of help you just dip your, your foot in the water just to get started and kind of see what's going on. Um, that's a good one because it will allow you to take your spare change and, um, it, it does what's called roundups and it'll take like small groups of your spare change. It'll round up your purchases mm-hmm. and, uh, help you to invest small groups of money at a, at a time. And it's nice because you, it's kind of like, you don't really miss it. Um, if you bought something for three twenty-five, it'll take that extra seventy-five cents, and it'll invest that for you. Um, so that's a good app to look into for that if you're kind of curious about investing and wanting to take some small steps moving forward. I love it. These are just very practical, very useful things that you can start right now. You know, I recently, so listeners, I'm going to be transparent. I had to do exactly what Lisa said. You know, I started reading a. Some of Dave Ramsey's work and I started reading um, 
some other materials on budgeting and I realized that, you know, the issue was me and that I really wasn't tracking it. You know, I know that I was making money and sometimes that's where we focus is that, you know, well, I make money and I deserve and I should be able to have and that sort of thing. And it's not that you shouldn't have those things, but at the same time, what is the long term strategy? You know, what if the job that you have doesn't last forever? Um, Do you have a rainy day fund? You know, can you sustain your bills beyond, you know, a job loss of more than than two months? And so once I started to intentionally look at those things, then that's when my financial picture started to really turn around. And one of the things that I take real gratification in, you know, is seeing that rainy day fund just tick up every time, you know, a a paycheck drops or a payment comes in and I just have a certain amount that I allocate towards that. It's very gratifying because I know that it's it's like paying myself. And that's something that we haven't gotten into the, the habit of. We're used to getting paid, but we're not necessarily accustomed to paying ourselves. And I think that that mind shift and the tools that Lisa just gave us, which are very valuable, are going to be a big help in moving us in that direction. Absolutely. Um, and as you said, a lot of people, I think a lot of people struggle with that. They they think they're budgeting. They think they're doing well because they have the income and, and because they're kind of tracking things a little bit here and there. But the, the key is to really be intentional, to really look at every penny that's coming, that's going out and every penny that's coming in and making sure that you're giving a name to each of those. Um, that's really the difference uh, in a lot of, for a lot of people. It can make the difference between them building wealth and not. Well, Lisa, where can people find you? Where can they find your tools and your strategies and just learn more about what you have to offer? Because, ladies and gentlemen, this was a bomb way to kick off this series. She just dropped all kinds of nuggets and knowledge. And I just I'm excited by what's going to come, because if this is is if this is where the bar is set, it can only go up from here. And I believe that by the end of this, you guys are going to be very clear about your financial picture, be able to set some realistic financial goals. So, Lisa, where can they get more of you? Give us all of your info. Absolutely. Um, so you can find me, first of all, on all social media um, at Black Inherit. Um, and I'm, I'm most active on Instagram, but, um, you know, you can find me at, at all the platforms. Um, you can also find me at theblackinheritance.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you can reach me there. My email is ib at theblackinheritance.com if you'd like to reach out to me that way. Um, and if you, you sign up for my mailing list, I'll, you, you know, I have a free gift for you um, that will help you with goal setting in terms of really um, starting to get started as well um, with, with, you know, where you are on your financial journey. Uh, So those are all ways that you can get in touch with me. Fantastic. Lisa, thank you so much for being on the show. Believers, make sure that you guys share this out. If you have takeaways, comments, if you want to give Lisa some love, make sure that you do that on Instagram and on Twitter. You can hit me at Dr. Shante says Lisa at Black Inherit, and I will see you guys on our next show. Thank you. Thank you.